Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with the executive director of Ohio Legal Help. It's a website offering free legal information, forms, and links. In about 15 minutes, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend covers a number of topics. The CHIPS Act is signed, sealed, but what does it deliver to Ohio? We're talking Intel business with a top state lawmaker. You asked, and we got some answers about ride safety and gun safety at the Ohio State Fair. And in about 45 minutes, I'll talk with Lisa Hamler-Fugit, who heads the Ohio Association of Food Banks. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me. Susan Che, who is the executive director at Ohio Legal Help. How are you? Good, Dave. Thank you for having us on the program today. Thanks for talking to us. We've talked to you several times over the last uh, couple of years. And first, tell us what Ohio Legal Help is. Sure. So we are, first of all, we're a free website. We um, provide legal information and court forms um, that work in all 88 of Ohio counties. And we provide legal information from everything from, like, you know, all the steps in terms of how to get a divorce in Ohio, including the forms and how to file, to, you know, we have folks who are facing eviction and we tell them, you know, what their rights are and what resources, including rental assistance, that may be available to them. And how often do people utilize or how many people utilize the website? So we've seen a lot of growth. Right now we're seeing um, 75,000 unique users a month, so 75,000 users and over 90,000 visits to the site, so we're a little over two and a half years old. I think this year we're going to help over 800,000 folks. Wow, that's amazing. And it's uh, actually started from, uh, it it has its roots in the Ohio Supreme Court in a way, right? It does, yeah, that's good memory. So in 2015, the Supreme Court convened a task force on access to justice, and um, we were one of the recommendations that essentially a free 24-7 website created for citizens to have a place where they can get good, authoritative Ohio information. Um, because, you know, some websites that are national may not apply in Ohio, so they want to make sure Ohioans had good Ohio information. With you being the executive director and, and keeping a close eye on what's going on with this, uh, you must be intrigued by how much you can kind of follow trends in the state based on what people are accessing on the website. Absolutely. So... You know, you know, it's interesting. So we are in the data a lot, right? We're always trying to um, make sure that we're meeting the needs of Ohioans, right? And so, but what we're seeing right now, so it's not a legal area, it's we're seeing what I say is economic instability. You know, we're all feeling it in our pocketbooks, but, you know, we really are trying to focus on the needs of low-income folks and we're seeing a lot of economic instability. And Dave, what I mean by that is, you know, we're seeing a lot of traffic to a lot of our landlord tenant states, eviction, you know, moving out early, getting repairs. And we've seen that trend over the last year. And it's only going to get worse, it seems, the way things are going right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, you and I have talked about this, which is that Ohioans across the board are seeing rental increases, right? Um, and when folks see that, they're trying to think through, well, can I, can, I, can I still afford to stay where I am? So they're going to come to our website and learn about their rights if they can move out early and what, that, what they need to do, what are the steps, right? Some folks, unfortunately, can't pay their rent. Um, and so they may be facing eviction, and so they come to our site and read about 
you know, what the timeline is, what the process is, um, and so that they can take some control. They can be empowered to do something. And actually what we've been doing a lot of is, is connecting folks with their local county emergency rental assistance, which is still available. Just in the last quarter alone, um, we did over 7,500 referrals to emergency rental assistance um, in 86 of Ohio's 88 counties. Wow. Somebody in that situation, you look at the at the possible messes that they can get into. Some of them can be their own fault, and, and others, of course, they have no control over. But if they if if their rent goes up to the point that they really can't afford it, the problem is they must have to figure out a way to do it at least for another month, probably because it, when they move, you've got you know the deposit that you've got to come up with for the next place. So it's cheaper in the short run to stay where you can't afford it. Yeah, we always say encourage and, you know, like negotiation, right? We always say communication is critical. If, you know, maybe there's something you can do. Maybe you can talk with your landlord um, if you're facing a rental increase to see if maybe there's a way to, you know, bring down that potential increase. Now, sometimes that's harder. You know, I live in Columbus, Ohio, and there are very large properties here, and sometimes it's harder you know, to negotiate with kind of larger apartment complexes. But you know what? Sometimes with the mom and pop landlords, which are, to be fair, the majority of the landlords in Ohio, um, you know, they might be more open, especially if you've been a good tenant, if you've been there. Because if you think about it, if, if you're a landlord, there's a cost to not having a tenant there. Sure. And there's also a cost that, you know, if you know this is a good tenant who's paid consistently, there is a value in that. And so try to kind of use those kinds of things. If you can negotiate with your landlord, maybe a delayed increase, you know, or, or you know, or maybe just a diminished increase overall. Right. And the one area where I said that, you know, maybe sometimes it's the person getting themselves into a bigger mess might be if they do see that rent increase and they immediately a knee-jerk reaction and, uh, you know, cancel their lease before they've secured another place, then you can really be in a tough spot. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting that you say that because you don't, you need to do research on what is the market because rent increases are increases across the board, across the state. It's not just happening in cities, you know, that, you know, it's not happening in like Columbus, Cincinnati, and Cleveland only. It's happening across the board, you know, in cities like Sandusky and other places. And so, you know, if you're faced with this situation and you're a tenant, really think through your options and don't do a knee-jerk reaction. You can do research, for instance, on our site. Um, You can look and call some other places to see what current rental costs are, but be prepared. And then also negotiate if you think you can negotiate um, potentially something you can afford. Talking with Susan Che, she's the executive director at Ohio Legal Help. The website is ohiolegalhelp.org. Before we rolled tape, you mentioned that family law was uh, is something that people are starting to look more at again these days. Yeah, you know, during the pandemic, our, and it makes total sense, right, which is that lots of traffic to our unemployment page, right? And now we've seen that traffic go down, and that matches kind of the unemployment numbers in Ohio. But what we've seen is a return to kind of a normal, right, which is that folks, um, our divorce and dissolution pages were our top pages before 
the pandemic, um, and they're returning to that. Um, we're seeing, um, again, traffic to folks learning about the divorce process, learning about dissolution, um, and how that works in Ohio, um, where to get the forms. And then, um, and Dave, I think I've mentioned this, we have a secure TurboTax-like process where you can fill out your divorce, for instance, without children form on our website. And what's great is, one, you keep the information encrypted, all that good stuff, but you can start, save, and come back to it because there's a lot of information that sometimes court forms require. And so we've created a tool where folks can save their work, come back to it, and then securely log back in and finish. That's great. And a lot of the things that you offer or some of the, the resources and links, you do that by specific region and the state, wherever people are, are coming online from, right? Yeah, we try to curate to your county. So like divorces can, I mean, there's, there are uniform state forms. So the forms are the forms, but different counties sometimes have different processes and sometimes different counties will require more forms. So what we try to do is to, we, we curate to what we call about 70% of the state. It's hard for us to do all 88 counties, but what we try to do is to um, curate for those differences um, for the majority of the state. But what's great is that there are uniform state forms, so the forms on our site work in all 88 Ohio counties. What about from the other end, uh, attorneys around Ohio? What is their role in all this, or do they interact with the site or with you at all? Sure. So what we do is, first of all, um, we provide legal information, but we don't provide legal advice. For that, you have to have an attorney, right? An attorney that will, like, listen to your specific situation and then give you kind of the legal advice or the step-by-step, the best thing for you as an individual based upon your unique situation. We can't do that, right? And so what we try to do is we try to connect folks with local um, bar associations that can then connect you with a specific attorney. So you let me know what county you're in, we ask for what county you're in, and then we'll tell you, like for instance, if you're you know up in um, Richland County, you know where Mansfield is, um, you know there's probably a Richland County Bar Association, we're going to go ahead and connect you with that bar association so they can connect you with an attorney that's near you, right? Um, also, if, for instance, if you're maybe have low income and facing eviction, um, we can connect you with your local legal aid. So if you're up in, let's say, Toledo, um, that's legal aid of Western Ohio, that's Lucas County, um, you let me know you're in Lucas County, and I'm going to say, you know what? Um, we're going to connect you with Legal Aid of Western Ohio up there. That is local legal aid. And so we try to work with our users to connect them to attorneys because you know, the, the law is complicated. Um, and what we try to do is provide as much information for folks to empower themselves. But there are certain things that you need an attorney. It's best to have if you can. And so we connect folks with their local bar association and with their local legal aid. What about folks who may be uh, in a domestic violence situation, you know, restraining orders and all that kind of thing? What kind of advice or forms or, you know, what do you have for them? Sure. So we work with, actually, um, we did a project that we completed last October. We work with the Supreme Court's Advisory Committee on Domestic Violence. And so we provide legal information on protection orders in Ohio. And then um, survivors and victims of domestic violence can actually complete 
Um, in a confidential setting, again, that same TurboTax, you can save when, you can work on it when you're safe, you can save. You can actually complete the entire protection order packet on our site. And we're mobile first, so you can actually do it on your phone and save. And then we provide information on next steps of how to file and then get something called an ex parte order. But just as critically, we know that sometimes folks need additional protection. Maybe they need to get to a shelter. We built out a special tool for the Supreme Court that's now on our website um, where folks can find their local shelter. And obviously, we're 24-7. Um, and then also how to connect with their local advocates that might assist them, help them with some additional questions they may have. And also, we connect them with legal help through legal aid and through the Ohio Domestic Violence Network as well. We wanted to create this full-on module for survivors and victims of domestic violence, and so we work with the experts in the state to do that. You know, I think I might have made some kind of a reference to this one of the other times I talked to you, but the Internet's been around, you know, not quite 30 years now, and uh, I remember when the People's Court, that uh, court show, came on television, and it opened people's eyes and it brought people into small claims court because they became familiar with how it works by watching it on television. And the kind of site like you have, ohiolegalhelp.org, there are people who are in desperate need of a divorce or protection from domestic violence who 30 years ago would have had no idea where to go. Yeah, I mean, we always say technology is a tool that we have to use, right? And so the fact that we can have this amazing tool for folks, it's free, it's available 24-7, and that, you know, working with not only experts in the state, but, you know, the 2,000-plus folks that have given us detailed feedback on, on what their needs are in addition to, yeah, we have another survey, I think we've had probably 20,000 results at this point, but they let us know what they need, and that has really helped us, you know, build a site that meets the needs of folks, you know, in your local community in Ohio. Um, and like, you know, one example of that, for instance, is, you know, folks asked us to create some simple forms on a state. So wills are actually more complicated than folks, you know, understand it. So we always say, you know what, talk to an attorney if you want a will, especially if you have kids because of guardianship and other issues. But you know what, like things like financial powers of attorney, healthcare powers of attorney, those are things that folks have questions about every day, and we have great information in all the forms on that. And so it's like you said, it's, you know, people want to have information. Sometimes they want to do research before they want to talk with an attorney. And so we're, we're kind of a great, like, front door, if you will, to a lot of that. And then we connect folks to their, you know, if they want an attorney, they want to connect with legal aid, or if they want rental assistance and they need to know where their local community action agency is. But we try to really think about that kind of full journey for folks, if you will. It's ohiolegalhelp.org. Susan Shea is the executive director. Uh, Anything else you'd like to add? No, other than if you have questions on legal issues, want to do some research, want to connect with your local attorney, again, ohiolegalhelp.org. And other than that, just want to say thank you for having us on the program again, Dave. Excellent. It's a great service. Uh, Thanks so much for taking time out to talk with us today about it. Thank you.
Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. Teachers shape the future. Right now, in a classroom somewhere in the United States, there's a teacher inspiring a future scientist who'll make preventing pandemics their life's work. Sharpening the mind of an aspiring environmentalist who'll help combat climate change. And generating possibilities for a student who'll be the first in their family to graduate college. Explore a career that leaves a legacy you can be proud of. Teach. Learn more and receive free support at teach.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. The motion is adopted. A major hurdle cleared for Intel to continue its expansion in Ohio. The House passed the Chips and Science Act, ensuring semiconductor companies in the U.S. with more than $50 billion in incentives. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us here for Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. It's big news for the state and holds significant potential for central Ohio. 10TV's Kevin Landers has some specifics after a one-on-one interview with Lieutenant Governor John Hughes. Intel's expansion on this 1,000-acre piece of land is seen as a historic development for the entire state of Ohio and a disruptor of lives for those who live near it. I went one-on-one with Lieutenant Governor John Husted to talk about this project and what some believe is a lack of transparency about how this project was done. Intel has promised Ohio two fabrication plants on the soil of this western Licking County property. But passage of the $52 billion Chips and Science Act could invite a whole lot more. They've given us every reassurance that if the CHIP Act passes, they will build as fast as they can. What does that mean? Instead of one phase, Lieutenant Governor said money from the CHIPS Act will pay for four more phases, which includes a packaging plant. There are no promises beyond phase one right now, but we've always been told by Intel all along that if the CHIP Act passes, that would give them the capital to be able to build out further beyond just phase one. We fully expect them to do that, although there's been no announcement on that at this point. Intel says the site can accommodate eight fabrication plants. To get here, Ohio showered the company with $2 billion of tax incentives. Do the incentives stop here or are there more incentives down the road as they continue to expand if that happens? Uh, I expect that, that like everything that we do, uh, if, there is, if there are more jobs and Intel is going to do more, then there will be more incentives to support that growth, uh, particularly in areas like the infrastructure, because we're going to need to build more roads, we're going to need to build more water capacity, all of those kinds of things that will support that growth. The deal to lure Intel to Ohio was largely done without public comment. Lieutenant Governor Houston says those seeking documents about the deal should have them. Everything that we do will be made public. All that government is doing will be made public or is public. And, and what Jobs Ohio will do also will be made public. 
for those displaced by the semiconductor plant. Houston says he's heard from those in support and against the project. I know that there are some people that don't like this, and I know that there are a lot of people, though, who think very highly of it. You talk to some of the farmers whose land was, was worth $5,000 an acre, and now it's worth $50,000 an acre. They kind of like it. Kevin Landers, 10TV News. Hiring for work at Intel is already underway. We checked the company's website and found dozens of jobs posted for our area. Intel has promised 3,000 jobs as part of its $20 billion investment in central Ohio. Right now, parents and students are getting ready for another school year. Over the summer, Governor Mike DeWine signed a bill allowing teachers to carry firearms in the classroom. House Bill 99 requires school employees to have 24 hours of initial training and eight hours hours of pre-qualification training annually, as well as active shooter and de-escalation training. The bill passed shortly after 19 children and two teachers were killed in that Texas elementary school shooting. Now you're about to hear from the man who calls himself a former school shooter from Willoughby, Ohio. And we do want to reassure you that we are not simply providing a platform to glorify these kinds of incidents. Instead, this Ohio man tells 10 Investigates the lessons he learned from his own shooting could help prevent the next one. Chief Investigative Reporter Bennett Haverly with that story. More than 14 years have passed since this headline first appeared. Since this image showed armed officers with guns trained on a 15-year-old. All that time, more than 5,000 days have given Jeff Javnikar plenty of time to reflect on what he did. I hurt thousands of people just by doing that. I mean, I, I scared all those kids in the school that day. Their, their parents were worried for them. I mean, parents of friends, and it just, it's like a ripple effect. The Jeff Javnikar you see now tells me he's far removed from the 15-year-old pictured here, who he says was bullied, overweight, and depressed. Far removed from the Jeff seen in the back row of this photo, taken inside a juvenile detention facility where he was incarcerated for nearly 18 months. Time he earned because of what he did. When I was there and I shot the first shot, it's almost like it, it made me realize that it was really happening and it wasn't it wasn't just all an idea in my head anymore and it scared me and it scared you yeah but i know i'm scaring hundreds of other kids but what i'm trying to say is it it almost kicked me back into reality out of that fantasy or delusional mindset i had and it just hit me that i was really doing what i was thinking about doing. At that moment, you realized you were a school shooter. This file news footage shows an oddly familiar scene in America. The looks of concern on the faces of parents and students. What you don't see is Jeff, who was eventually let out to authorities by two administrators. Inside Willoughby, Ohio's South High School, Jeff described what unfolded. Two shots. One hit the ceiling, the other a trophy case. It happened so fast. I went... I turned a corner as soon as I shot that first shot, and I, I met somebody face-to-face, another student, and he was just, he was like mid-walk, and he stopped. It was because um, I just shot the shot, turned the corner, and I saw his eyes. I remember, I'll never forget that. He looked at me like, oh, my God, just out of shock, and I, I told him that I, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to hurt anybody. and I was almost like crying. I was trembling, and he ran. No one was hurt. But Jeff had been hurting and spent weeks planning to kill himself, but do it in what he called a bigger way. 
For me, it was more so about releasing a message or letting people know how I really felt inside, not to not to bully kids, not to mess around with kids. Um, so it was more about just letting people know that message, but obviously I did it in the wrong way. So, so almost in the yeah, in the in the way of the sense of like you you wanted people to understand the hurt you were enduring. Yeah, even if that meant hurting others. Yeah, and another thing I wanted to make clear too is before the, before the, the day that it happened, mm-hmm. I sure I, pr- I probably had some ideas of of hurting certain in- individuals possibly. Um, you know, people that picked on me growing up, but the, the day that it happened, I actually, and I can say this knowing it's 100% true to myself, I did not have any thoughts of hurting anybody that day while I was doing it. Jeff credits two school administrators with saving his life. They convinced him to put the gun down away from his own head. During his time incarcerated, Jeff says he finished high school, got counseling, thought about his feelings and his action and his previous fascination with school shootings. In the months leading up to his incident, Columbine had become a focus of his Internet searches. So I think the sensationalism of how much media attention they get did play a role in me wanting to do something similar in that way. Yeah. Is there a sense of irony now? Because we're giving media attention to what happened with you? Yeah, but I hope this is different. I mean, I hope I can uh, share a message or share something that will help somebody or something. Jeff's experience differs greatly from other similar shootings in that no one was hurt or killed. But 10 Investigates found similarities between Jeff's story and what FBI research has shown. In this 2018 report, the FBI analyzed more than 60 active shooter cases and found nearly half had suicidal ideation. The shooters also showed warning signs and concerning behaviors that those close to them may have seen but failed to act on. In many instances, the FBI wrote, the concern stayed between the person who noticed the behavior and the active shooter. Early recognition, the FBI says, of these incidents may represent critical opportunities for detection and disruption. Jeff said his mother knew something was wrong, but others around him missed the warning signs. Yeah, I would I should say, I should probably bring a gun to school. And it was almost like me trying to tell them in a way and... I remember one friend even would, the week before, like two days in a row, he saw me in the hallways. He goes, you bring the gun to school? Like, joking around. So, yeah, there were definitely warning signs. Um, if somebody's talking like that, I think it should definitely be reported or, or told, regardless of if you're afraid, if they're, they're just joking. Yeah. Um, because when you were saying this to friends, were you hoping someone would say, hey, what are you talking about? It was almost like I was hoping deep down that it would lead to somebody stopping me, what I was planning on doing. Each school shooting in America is jarring. But for Jeff and his family, it prompts a reliving of his tragedy averted. It is why, he says, he chose to share his story now in hopes it will prevent the next one. I just wanted to share my perspective that how terrible a thing it was that I did, the consequences I had to endure not worth it it was and how I wish I could have just talked to somebody instead. Bennett Haberly, 10 Investigates.
And Jeff says, in his view, there is no binary solution to stopping shootings. He sees a need, he says, for both increased gun control and a focus on addressing mental health. 10 Investigates looked at 25 school shootings in Ohio dating back to 1970. Nearly half have occurred since the year 2000. Of all the shooters, only three had a previous diagnosis of mental illness. And the abortion debate is still top of mind for many people. We tackle some big questions about abortion in our state. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? I mean, they go back to college, learn new instruments, Start skateboarding? Okay, maybe that one's not for everybody, but saving for retirement is. With aceyourretirement.org, you can get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. Just have a three-minute chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach from AARP. You'll get personalized recommendations based on your input that are easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Gnarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back. Some new questions are coming out about how an Ohio law could impact the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade. Cleveland Metropolitan Bar Association held a free forum to talk about Ohio's heartbeat bill. The forum included medical and legal experts on reproductive rights. Here were some of the big questions. First, how would prosecutors find out if you've had an abortion? Here's what Jen Driscoll, assistant prosecuting attorney from Cuyahoga, said. The Department of Health could be the the entity to go in and and ask if somebody were to, again, call in and say, I have a a tip that Dr. Romanos is doing something wrong and has performed this abortion. Another question, could your cell phone data be used in an abortion case? The answer is yes. Those period tracking apps or calendar data can be used. Legal experts gave this advice. It needs to be obtained properly, right, with probable cause, search warrants. If you don't want someone someone to know about it, don't type it in your phone. Finally, could prosecutors refusing to take on abortion cases be forced to prosecute? According to the panel, not likely because of prosecutors' discretionary powers. However, the Ohio Attorney General's office could step in. During the Ohio State Fair opening ceremony, Governor DeWine was asked about his stance on the 10-year-old Ohioan who needed to travel to Indiana for an abortion. Look, I think what you're seeing now um, is a public discussion uh, about what should happen when the legislature comes back after the election. I mean, they've made it clear to me they're not coming back until after the November election. Uh, You're seeing a a, a discussion. It's a proper discussion. Uh, Every state, uh, based upon this recent Supreme Court decision, 
has to make this decision and exactly what we want. Uh, so, you know, when we signed the Hurry B bill, uh, you know, those of us who believe that uh, one of the functions of government is to protect the unborn, the most vulnerable members of society, and that's been my position for 40 years, uh, you know, felt uh, that and hoped that the Supreme Court would reach the decision that they did. But we didn't know that. Uh, so they did make that decision. Now it's back to the states. Now we're having a public debate. I would expect when the legislature comes back, not only will we have this public debate between now and when the legislature comes back, but we also will have hearings uh, and people will be able to come in. And we're going through a process that every state should go through, and that is deciding exactly what we want this law to say. Columbus City Council officially approved funding for reproductive rights. City Council member Elizabeth Brown sponsored a legislative package aimed at protecting abortion access. One million dollars will be split between the Ohio Women's Alliance and the Abortion Fund of Ohio. Vaccinations have long been a part of the back-to-school planning process. COVID-19 and the rapid-spreading sub-variants really making vaccines especially critical, as you know. Boundless Health, which is the state's first health care center of its kind, will offer free COVID vaccines to the general public. The Pfizer vaccine is going to be offered and administered to all ages on certain vaccination dates at the Boundless Health Work office in Worthington. You must make an appointment. Your information will be put in a state data Database, and then you could be asked for your insurance information, but you are not going to be charged. Children six months to four years old will receive three separate appointments. The second dose will be at least 21 days after that first dose, and then the third dose is at least eight weeks after the second dose. It's important to remember that these kids can only get the vaccine at clinics and doctor's offices. Children ages 5 to 11 and people who are 12 years old and up will receive two separate appointments at least 21 days apart. They just need to know that we vaccinate anybody from six months up. And um, you do not have to have developmental disabilities. We treat anyone. Um, we are going to be hosting the vaccine clinics every Wednesday um, for the entire month of August from 8 to 4.30. You can find this complete list, the information at 10tv.com. And the Ohio State Fair is well underway, leaving some with questions, though, about safety. We're talking with experts when it comes to rides and even gun safety at this year's event. We don't want you on our team. You're too slow and fat. This is weight bias. I'm worried about your weight. Don't you care what other people think? Millions who live and are affected by obesity face weight bias every day. You're not the right fit for this job. Unfair judgment by others. Just stop eating so much and exercise some. You lose all this weight. These people often blame themselves. It's just me. Nobody likes me. I do exercise and eat right. And I talk to my doctor. Weight bias hurts. Everyone deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. Your words and actions matter. Let's stop weight bias. Let's work together. Be part of the solution. Go to StopWeightBias.com and learn more. A public service message from Obesity Action Coalition. 
This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. The Ohio State Fair is back in action, including some new safety measures, right? Inspections are different this year because of Tyler's Law. 10TV's Ashley Bornanson stopped by the fairgrounds to check on the process. Uh, the Ohio State Fair is back, and there's nothing better than the thrill of one of their high tower rides and coasters. But the Ohio Department of Agriculture says the number one priority is safety. So Tyler's Law really raises the level of standard for amusement ride safety here in the state of Ohio. Tyler's Law went into effect in 2019, just two years after Tyler Gerald died when the ride he was riding came apart. An investigation later found the ride was rusted. His mother spoke with 10TV in May as the fair season started. She said there were a lot, a lot of very dedicated people to making sure that we were doing going forward as best as we could Mm -hmm. uh, to ensure that this didn't happen again. The law has requirements specifically aimed at preventing anyone being allowed onto a ride with the same kind of wear and tear. It requires them to work with a manufacturer or a, ride or a third-party engineer to figure out mitigation strategies for that fatiguing corrosion, which really raises the level of safety up for that ride. David Miram is tasked with overseeing the inspections. His team is looking closely at each ride, but the requirements vary. Kitty rides like carousels and go-karts will have at least one state inspector once annually. For the coasters, it's at least double. But ODA says state inspectors typically come out about seven to nine times. No red flags this year, just uh, business as usual. Uh, we had almost 75% of our staff here over the weekend uh, performing these inspections, making sure that they're top-notch. At over 20 feet high, at least two state inspectors will be inspecting the Ring of Fire twice annually. In addition, the Tally Amusements team will also be inspecting every ride daily to make sure everyone's safe. We have a management to each ride that is assigned to that ride for the whole spot. Just one of the many safety checks happening to keep your family safe. In Columbus, Ashley Bornanson, 10TV News. The Ohio State Fair runs through August 7. Tickets are $10 for anyone who's 13 and up. It's $8 for seniors and children under five are free. And while you may be looking forward to having fun with family or friends, we did get a lot of messages about safety especially as it relates to permitless carry in our state. Ohio now allows open carry for firearms. 10TV's Lacey Crisp is at the fairgrounds with what you need to know before you go. You're going to see state troopers everywhere. So this fair, there's going to be a large amount of troopers. Whether you see them or not, they will be watching you. You're going to see numerous cameras, uh, and we are monitoring those cameras so that we can ensure that, uh, you know, if something bad is about to happen, maybe we can catch that on camera ahead of time uh, and prevent that from occurring. Lieutenant Nathan Dennis with the Ohio State Highway Patrol says troopers will be keeping a close eye to make sure you and your family stay safe. He says even though the state law says you can bring your firearm in, he suggests you leave it at home. So what does that mean for people who want to bring their guns? So when it comes to uh, bringing a weapon into the fairgrounds, if somebody does choose to bring one into the fairgrounds, you cannot have a weapon inside of any of the buildings. You also cannot have a weapon inside of any of the liquor uh, permitted establishments that are on the grounds. Signs will be posted all over the grounds on where firearms are not permitted. So it's recommended that you don't bring one with you or that you leave it secured in your vehicle and not bring it onto the grounds.
10 TV's Lacey Crisp reporting. Lieutenant Dennis wanted to remind people that if you see something, say something. He says he just wants to make sure everyone who comes to the fair has a great and safe time. Before you head to the fair, text the word fair to 614-460-3345. We'll send you a link. It'll have everything you need to know, including where to park and ride hours. Governor Mike DeWine pushed for state lawmakers to pass stricter distracted driving laws, saying we have to put the phones down on the road. There will be people die in Ohio this week because of distracted driving who would not have died if we had a distracted driving law in effect. We can almost guarantee that. Talk to any Ohio State trooper, look at the data that they have, and, and distracted driving is clearly underreported. You know, people just don't volunteer. Gee, I was, I was uh, you know, doing uh, whatever I was doing and not paying any attention. That's kind of the last thing they want to admit. So under, distracted driving is underreported, but we know it kills a lot of people. So uh, I'm making this plea again to the state legislature. Uh, give us a vote. Uh, put it up. Uh, I think when it comes to a vote, it will pass, and I think it will pass uh, and become law, and I'll, I cannot wait to sign it. The push to end distracted driving is a cause that is very important to 10TV. Dom Tiberi, as you know, started Maria's message in honor of his late daughter, Maria, who died in a crash. Maria's message is hosting free safe driving days. It's time for teens to learn how to be completely aware and under control behind the wheel. Students will go through three drills focusing on wet pavement, braking, emergency lane changes, and what to do in a skid. Registration for the August 13th event is now open. Head to 10tv.com slash Maria's message to sign up. We certainly thank you for joining us on this Sunday morning and we wish you a great week. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV. From their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. There's a child in Kenya, or Sierra Leone, or India, or Bolivia, who you could connect with. And through Child Fund, it's possible. We may be thousands of miles apart, but we can still connect with each other. And when we do, we make things better. We connect children all around the world with what they need to grow up healthy, educated, and safe. That's what Child Fund is about. Together, we co-create, support, and sustain connections that lead to greater well-being for millions of children who live in poverty worldwide. And their families, and their communities, and their countries, and you. Join us. Together, we can make the world a better place. Two small worlds at a time. His and yours. Visit childfund.org to learn more. You've been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. You have to carefully monitor your health for the rest of your life. And you have an increased risk of developing cardiovascular disease. What? Take two. Action. You've been diagnosed with a new purpose, to fight for the amazing life you made for yourself. To look that risk of heart disease square in the face and say, no, not me. You've been given a new opportunity to live. Get started at nodiabetesbyheart.org. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council.
This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. This is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Lisa Hamler-Fugit, who is the Executive Director of the Ohio Association of Food Banks. How are you? Good. Yourself, Dave? Good. Thanks for talking to us. What is the Ohio Association of Food Banks? The Ohio Association of Food Banks is Ohio's largest charitable response to hunger. We represent the 12 Feeding America food banks and provide food, funding, training, and technical assistance to a network of 3,600 member charities. Those are food pantries, soup kitchens, and homeless shelters, serving one in six of our hungry friends and neighbors in the state of Ohio. So when you say that there are 12 of them in Ohio, I'm assuming they're all over the state, and how big are these places? Uh, We have large food banks. Uh, Many people that may live in central Ohio know the Mid-Ohio Food Collective. They serve Franklin County and the 19 contiguous counties, so they're our largest partner. To our smallest partner in the food bank in Dayton that serves three counties, including Montgomery County. And then we have a number of food banks that serve very rural, high-need, low-resourced areas. So we're located across the state from uh, Cincinnati, to Youngstown and over to Toledo, to Cleveland, Lorraine, Dayton, um, Columbus, uh, Logan, and Springfield as well. And uh, so we're well over two years into this since the pandemic, and, uh, you know, we've had just about every kind of complication attached to it as you can have, and they continue to come, and I'm guessing that that's been wildly difficult for you folks. It is, Dave, and, and again, the charitable food sector has been on the front line since day one of the pandemic. Um, you know, what a lot of us saw is um, over a million Ohioans lost their job through no fault of their own. We went into uh, lockdown and work from home, um, and those images of really long lines of cars stretching for miles at food distribution programs were really, um, you know, that, that was a pretty visual um, um, piece of what we saw and just the acute nature of the crisis, certainly within the first year of the pandemic. And and we were fortunate to have um, the support of farmers and growers in the United States Department of Agriculture. And really the federal government response was pretty sweeping to getting us additional resources to help people who, through no fault of their own, lost their jobs and were experiencing the results of the COVID and the pandemic. So as we kind of moved into the second year of the pandemic and we started to see some aspects of the economy beginning to recover and unemployment began to come down to more of the pre-pandemic levels, we were still experiencing an elevated demand on our system. And that was happening because of some of the, the government responses had begun to, to go away. Um, but then at the end of 2021, while we thought things were better, you know, there was a lot of stimulus that, <clears throat> that came out, certainly that was helping low-income families, the, the advanced earned income tax credit, uh, as well as the additional SNAP benefits really helped folks. And then those benefits, unfortunately, the advanced earned income tax credit went away at the beginning of 2022. At the very time, we started to see the, the long-term impacts of the pandemic and supply chain issues. The supply chain was brittle. Uh, during those first two years, it completely broke down. 
down this year, and then rapidly rising inflation. Supply chain issues from our donors, our retailers, our manufacturers, existing labor shortages. So what we have seen now is just a mass acceleration of all of these factors, a dramatic increase in the cost of food and fuel for everyone, both us as food banks and individuals, uh, continuing massive supply chain shortages and disruptions, now inflation, and I have to tell you, I think there's some price gouging going on out there, and now just the impact of climate change and global conflicts. It is the perfect storm um, that has now beset hungry Ohioans and the people that serve them through our food bank, food pantry, and soup kitchen nation uh, world as we enter now year three of the pandemic. Talking with Lisa Hamler-Fugit, she's the executive director of the Ohio Association of Food Banks. You know, we we did a story today about how pet supplies and, and uh, mm-hmm. food is like 8 to 12 percent higher, but I'm seeing percentages a lot higher than that for things like cat food, you know, and, and that and those kinds of things for the elderly and poor who maybe live alone and have pets, that alone can be catastrophic, let alone for what they pay for their own food. You're right. And what we know about the nature of seniors is that may be their only companionship, and oftentimes they're sharing their own limited food to feed their pet. Uh, Food banks have been proud of our partnerships to be able to provide uh, pet food and pet supplies. Unfortunately, those donation streams have started to dry up. All of our traditional sources of donated food, whether it be retail, wholesale, food manufacturers, uh, local food and fun drives, that has all fallen off sharply down by some 30% at the same time that we're seeing pretty significant cuts in uh, government funding as well, requiring that food banks purchase more food, grocery items, personal care and personal hygiene. Last year, we were spending on average about 42 cents a pound to keep uh, food and personal care and personal hygiene items moving through the system. Today, that's up to a dollar for a pound. Wow. So we're, we're raising money, but it's only going about half as far as it did last year. And then we're suffering from everything else that everyone else is, which it costs more. Diesel fuel's up by 75%. Um, so we're having to distribute a lot more food into local communities. A lot of our seven of our network were faith-based charities. Those were church uh, parishes and synagogues that operated food pantries. Uh, Churches did not fare well during the pandemic, so they're not able to do their social justice ministries. But, you know, what we're talking about is the same thing that's impacting every Ohio and every individual every day with low incomes or fixed incomes. Their limited incomes are just not sufficient to be able to to meet their basic needs. Therefore, we're seeing more people at the food bank, food pantry, and soup kitchen than during the early days of the pandemic. Well, the scary thing, Lisa, is that there seems to be a pretty high expectation of a recession coming or at least a, a slowdown. And the Fed is raising interest rates to try to slow the economy down without breaking it. So tougher times are certainly coming. Yes, and, and we 
have been we have been uh, forecasting uh, for a while as we continue to see pretty substantial shortages and supply chain disruptions. We started to see significant increases in input costs. You know, a lot of farmers, growers, and commodity producers that we worked with were telling us they were paying record amounts for feed, for seed, and fertilizer, for fuel. So we were bracing for an increase in that area. But then when we saw our retail, wholesale, and manufacturing partners saying they too, the supply chains were just not straightening out, that we knew that we were going to be in for some uh, unknowns and began to really lift up the issue that we were facing, and it was—it just felt as though it was accelerating every day. It started to work and reach out to the Ohio members of the General Assembly late in 2021, and we have continued to lift up the urgent need uh, that we're facing now within the members of the General Assembly as well as the DeWine administration, and I hope that they could provide some critical funding for us so we could continue to make sure that the most vulnerable in our state had access to the food that they needed in order to help weather their storm, uh, their economic storm as well. And you're right, if we see um, a recession on the horizon, we know what happens in a recession, in that many people, again, lose their job through no fault of their own. Uh, you're... Uh organization obviously becomes a little more vocal during, uh, you know, like the the state budget every two years and and, uh, when federal funding is considered. But this uh, statement of critical need that you put out is a little bit unusual for your, your call for action and for help. Yes, and, and like I said, Dave, we have been trying to, to raise awareness in our concerns now for more than six months about what was happening. And while many, um, each, I think each and every one of us, want to really put the last two and a half years, now three years, in the rearview mirror and call COVID in, in the pandemic done, unfortunately it's not. We live in a global and operate in a global economy, and there were some other unseen conflicts that were on the horizon, including the current Russian invasion of Ukraine that is going to have long-lasting impacts, as well as what we're experiencing today alone, which are the impacts of um, changing climate patterns and um, certainly climate change that are also going to affect the availability of uh, access to food as well. So uh, we don't take this lightly, but when I say that my food food banks are now distributing four fewer meals per person than we were a year ago, and this quarter the situation is far worse. We need help, and we need help now. Uh, I know that uh, people can also give through your website, but is the is the majority of your funding, does it come through government agencies and through you know churches and, and the like, or what? Uh, it has always come from a variety of sources, and I think that's the big shift, Dave, that we're seeing right now. There are traditional sources, whether it be the private sector through donations of, as I said, retail, wholesale, manufacturing, local food and fun drives. That's not there. It's fallen off dramatically because there isn't any more surplus, and individuals who are always generous start to pull back when they're seeing their budgets stretched as well. 
Um, so, again, with our federal commodities are down substantially because the federal government is also uh, dealing with the same thing that, that we're dealing with, and the money that we are raising isn't going as far because we're paying more than twice as much for food that we were just a year ago. So we need more help. We hope that this is temporary in nature, but we are also calling not just on the state of Ohio, but also our congressional delegation to make sure that Congress prioritizes the highest prioritization that we cannot allow hunger to increase to the levels that it did throughout the pandemic. And that we know that children are at greatest risk of hunger, especially during the summer months, which is what we're dealing with now, as well as our seniors who are always the last to show up. And they are now showing up in record numbers because their limited incomes derived by Social Security just isn't enough to keep a roof over their head, food on their table, and their life-sustaining medication. Just a moment or so to go here with Lisa Handler-Fugit, Executive Director of the Ohio Association of Food Banks. The plea for help from Congress, uh, is that impacted at all by, you know, we're, we're going into the midterm elections here very near. Uh, does that have any effect on on the chances of legislation like that? Well, we're, you know, we're gearing up for the farm bill, certainly. There are a lot of competing interests. Um, and the other thing that I have to give Congress um, credit for is that they have done three different uh, COVID relief packages, the latest being the American Rescue Act plan that gave generous funding to states and local communities to help address the needs of those who were most impacted as a result of COVID, and that was to help them recover and uh, Again, the state is in a situation where it has um, it has the resources, meaning it has billions of dollars of additional uh, assistance that could be directed into helping hungry Ohioans, and that's what we're asking for consideration on. And an investment, a modest investment of fifty million dollars, to allow us to be able to purchase food and personal care items to make sure that when our hungry friends and neighbors turn to a food bank, food pantry, or soup kitchen, there's going to be food available for them. All right. Lisa Hamler-Fugit, Executive Director of Ohio Association of Food Banks. If uh, folks want to help out or just find out more about your organization, where can they find it, Lisa? Thanks so much, Dave. They can visit our website at www.ohiofoodbanks.org. Find out more of it, information. They can also find a local agency if they need food assistance, especially during this power outage that we've uh, encountered. A lot of Ohioans have lost all of their food. Or they can call the association at 1-614-221-4336. And again, looking for your time, your talent, your treasure, or your advocacy on our behalf. You know, this is an all-in fight. And we need everyone uh, in this fight, both individuals, the state, and USDA and Congress. We need our partners and supporters so we can make sure that we can achieve a state where no one goes hungry. And I did want to ask you real quick as we wrap up here, the volunteer level, has it returned since the pandemic has uh, quieted down a bit? Uh, No, unfortunately has not. Um, and a lot of that has to do with people are still concerned about variants, um, exposure. We are still limiting the number of volunteer sites to encourage social distancing, but the 
big thing right now for our volunteers is the cost of gasoline. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're reluctant to, to make any additional trips because it's costing much more to put gas in their car just for the essentials. It's uh, difficult getting hit from all different directions. Uh, Lisa, thanks so much for your time and, uh, and good luck with your efforts on trying to improve the situation. Thank you, Dave. Really appreciate your interest in this. And again, encourage your listeners to get involved. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.